Yeah, so gender dysmorphia in, like, India. That's her. All right. Anyway, all great thoughts. Let's bring this back to center a little bit. Um, One comment on that. Yeah, Uh, go ahead. So my friend Scott, I talked to him last night for a while out Portland. He's uh, like mid-50s. And he asked me, he said, have you ever seen – Bob Odenkirk's first show. I said, Mr. Show with David Cross. And he said, yeah. I said, yeah. He goes, it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. Oh, Bob Odenkirk is a genius. And in the first or second episode of that, they're they're talking about how, uh, and this is in like 94, Mm -hmm. so the 90s. And um, David Cross is like, well, the, the pansexual uh, population, you see, we're going to, they're two customers. They're going, so we're going to get them both ways. And it's all about, so, and the fact that that was in, and anyway, my friend Scott was like, it was so prescient of them to like write something like that. And, and uh, so that was it. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's David Cross. He, so he's funny. But then you like talk, you like hear him in real life without him being funny, and that guy's like really bitter, like about a whole lot of things. I think he's bitter about his career, but it's whatever, it's fine. I would be too if like Arrested Development was like the height of my <laughs> of my thing. And then, hey, he was on tour for comedy for a long time, a lot for a long time, long time tour. Well, that tour can get you. Like you go out on the road, and and that's it. So we've covered a lot of ground here. I mean, we talked about, you know, your past a little bit. We talked about your dad. We talked about, um, we talked about, you know, your morning oblations um, <laughs> and all that. We also talked about some stuff that we've had to cut from the podcast. We're not going to revisit that, but we did talk about some of those things. Um, if you want to hear more about that, you can pick up part one of this podcast. So in part two, which is what we're starting on right now, um, we're going to want to fast forward a little bit to like current things, right? So you and I met in 2002. Yeah, 2002. Um, at, uh, it was Burlington County College. Now it is Rowan Community College. Oh, look at that. I just saw a breaking news thing flash across my phone. Elon Musk buys Twitter for $44 billion. Drop in the, <sighs> drop in the bucket. Drop in the bucket. He just found some change in his... His couch cushions. <laughs> he he didn't realize he hasn't checked his PayPal account in quite some time. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. That's tweetable. Hey, that's a tweet. <laughs> oh. God, I'm gonna go on record here. I think a that couldn't have happened to a better group of people, and b um, I hope, and I know this won't happen, but like I hope he just yanks the plug out of the wall on that thing. <laughs> I'm going to go public and say that. I thought so. Yes, just, just delete Twitter and buy it and delete it. <laughs> what do we need that for? Yeah, I mean, that would be that, that would be amazing. It would be. He would achieve Tony Stark Iron Man one status. I mean, it's 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 a statement. All of you all should be thanking me. I've successfully privatized social media. <laughs> and then just put on his sunglasses and then just walk out of the Congressional Committee while Gary Shandling is just yelling at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it would be awesome if he had an Iron Man suit. It would like, be. That was his. 
Some, some <laughs> people have gotten up after him about that on Twitter. They have. They're like, dude, why don't you just build an Iron Man suit? He's like, I, yeah, I don't have time. It's, it's beneath me. <laughs> it's beneath me. I just bought. I just bought this platform. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, okay, cool. Well, that now makes this current. Um, so yeah, fast forward to what you're doing now. So we met 2002. You were, um, you were starting starting. We were starting a literary magazine, um, which was a loose leaf sheet of paper that said "Sign up." I distinctly remember coming along because this is the time. This is who I was at the time. Going. Are there groupies for literary magazines? And you confidently <laughs> assured me that there are groupies for everything. And I was like, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm in, because that's where my brain was at at the time. Um, this is before marriage and children and maturity and, well, semi-maturity and everything else. Um, and then, yes, I remember I remember your ODing, and you didn't want to see me at the hospital. You were like, don't come. Don't come see me. Um and that was fine. I mean, I kind of, I kind of got the sense that like that was not a state that you wanted me to see you in. Um, but I did talk to your mom during that time and kept up with her. Um, and your mom met my mom. That was really interesting. Um, mom meets mom going through the rye, and then because um, they're both two different, they're two radically different women. Um, and then I went to Bemidji State University, a a university that I picked. I mean. This wasn't the whole reason, but you looked at you looked at the brochure for the university, and you looked at the the, the lake and the trees, and you went, "Dude, that place looks peaceful." <laughs> By the way, all that uh, the the situation you just described, or the interaction yeah. between our mothers, and that like, if I knew that, it was you know eighteen years or seventeen years ago, shortly after, and this is the first you know six the first several years that after the od and the coma you know i i there for all i know i was just hearing everything you just said for the first time oh well then i'm gonna so, i'm gonna update you on your own history so thank you i appreciate you're, you're welcome, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> uh so yeah so i went to Bemidji state university um my alma mater and uh, and then like we kind of fell out of circulation. I wound up working at University of Minnesota. Did a whole bunch of different things there. Had a whole a numerous plethora of experiences. Um, you had your plethora of experiences, which we will talk about here in just a minute. And um, and then I re ran into you in like two thousand and seventeen, two thousand eighteen. Um, you know, married. Kids. Oh, your 40th birthday. On my 40th birthday, right, when you brought a walking stick to my house and then yeah. proceeded to beat me on my own lawn at Croquet, which had been my game in college, which is an unbelievable uh, short-sighted piece of thing for me, and I will correct that very quickly. <laughs> you had other people, friends, work friends that were there that you were entertaining and had to, you know, like I know how to, you, you know, building work relationships is a completely different. Do you just, you walk into the room and, and just dominate, you know, you gotta, you know, so I thought you were giving uh, everybody a pass, to be honest. With you, you thought you were giving everybody a pass. I know. Okay, I th well, yeah, I think you were. You were. I, you were. You're probably, you're, probably was. You were. You were in it for strengthening the interpersonal and uh, you know, business relationships. That's true. I wasn't trying to go to the hole and dominate, <laughs> even if it was the croquet wicket. 
So, so thank you. Uh, well, you know, croquet had been my game in college. I mean, that was my game. We actually wound up, we wound up playing. No, we we tried to play an Ivy League team, and they wouldn't they wouldn't play us. But apparently, they, they, that's what they do in the Ivy Leagues. Actually, have like croquet tournaments and stuff. It's like it's a huge thing. Um, I would have liked to see you say, uh, "Will you allow us allow us allow us to?" To play you, if I Hassan Sorrells take on your entire debate team and win. Actually, I would have my my pro team, my team to take on like Harvard would have been a guy with wind black wind pants who was a chain smoker from Tennessee. Um, a guy named Matt. I won't give his last name. Who so he works in higher education. I don't want to ruin his career. But a guy named Matt who was about five foot eight and about one hundred and twenty pounds, but could whip that mallet. <laughs> And then my other buddy Chad Mo, he knows who he is. I would take him, and then um, a wascally Canadian who played hockey. I would take him. We molded him into something. <laughs> That'd be my team, and we would we would dominate. We would just dominate. I mean, anyone with the confidence to chain smoke and wear wind pants and be un completely unfazed by yeah, that's good sense. Uh-huh. Or anything, yeah. yeah. Just like this is like I just imagine like that dude at like nine years, seven years old was in wind pants and chain smoking. His, and was, nickname, his nickname was Lumpy in college because that's basically. I mean, he never left his he never left his his realm. He smoked out the window because that was like that was on the cusp of the year in Minnesota where you could still smoke indoors, but they were like shifting it over, and all the people in the hinterlands of Minnesota were like. <laughs> they were all yelling and it didn't matter like the people down in minneapolis had made the decision so <laughs> you're done uh you're done son it's over you just didn't procreate enough like i'm sorry there's not enough motors here <laughs> it's just not you were too busy hiding in the woods behind a tree talking about finnish pride <laughs> <laughs> you know well i mean ain't that the beautiful and brutal truth um anyway so yeah no he was from tennessee and he was, and he was a seventh day. Well, he is a seventh day Adventist. So, I don't know how that all aligns with the chain smoking and the wind pants. But it, I mean, he was, oh, and he was, he was, he was good with that croquet mallet. He was good, and he could intimidate. He could talk trash like nobody had ever seen before, just at a level that was unbelievable. Like he could talk trash to Dennis Rodman and be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it's you know, there's something about what you said a few minutes ago. Uh, the sign up. Oh and yeah, I've mm-hmm. I've recently come to. Well, you mentioned the groupy thing, yes. And uh, you know, uh, and I'm coming back to this place. It's interesting. You said uh, the other day about vocabulary and writing. You're like, mm-hmm. if I know it, I'm just going to do it. It's not my not my problem, and yeah. it's yours. And so when uh, recently I have kind of come full circle. Uh, that was kind of like, I don't know, in a way, a harmless manipulation to say there's groupies, which is true. It's a true statement because there are groupies for everything. However, I was like, uh, this is the only dude who's come by and he has attacked this from like the CEO my like uh where do you see the club and you know to how do you yeah. how, how do you feel the club will integrate into to the campus it's a how, campus community <laughs> how this how will this how will this uh better how will this you know what affects blah, blah, and just going on and on and on i was like oh man i better and so i i thought i needed to like 
in the groupie thing, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just had to, like, I was just grabbing at anything that would get another member because, uh, I don't know, my, uh, my uh, codependent nature. (laughs) (laughs) But but that, like, passive manipulation thing, uh, in a way, I'm, I saw everything in regard. It was like a really black and white thing, like sobriety early on and then to the meat of it. And now there was a, a, a point of it where it was like, I, like I just saw as everything that I used to do and think was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was entirely true. And so recently I've, I've having conversations with people, it, they don't have to be so, like black and white on that. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I know that's a, so I, yeah, I just wanted to kind of comment on the. No, no. I mean, uh, well, but I mean, that's, that's the growth from like 12 through like everything to like now at 40 some odd where it's like, okay, yeah. Like this is, this is the arc. And I, we were talking about this in a different kind of context, you know, previous to this conversation, but like that's part of owning your journey, just owning the thing that, that is you and going, yeah, this is me, and you're going to kick me out of this, like, you know, place because you don't want me touching your stupid guitar <laughs> and whatever, sir, and you have a good day. <laughs> you have a good day, sir, and good day. <laughs> and it's 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 also part of something we've been talking about on the podcast these last few episodes, your episode, and there's another episode upcoming, a couple of episodes upcoming, where we kind of talk about men and how men fit into society and culture, and it takes a long time <clears throat> for particularly modern guys, I would say anybody between the ages of 40 and like 55, it took all of us a long time to figure out what it actually meant to be a man. And some of us still haven't figured it out. That's why like Iron Man Legos still sell. Like they're not selling them to like my five-year-old, although he would buy them. They are cool. Like he would want them, but they're selling them to me because I think they're cool. Yeah. I mean, my brother bought all those transformers for his son. Right, and and it was like he was over the moon that they came back in in vogue. Of course, because we're all like twelve year old boys walking around, and we have an entire society and culture that's supporting that now. <laughs> when it used to be like, no, drink your beer and chain smoke your cigarettes like your grandfather did. Drink your beer, chain smoke your cigarettes, and die of cancer. Shut up already, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, and go to work. <laughs> yeah, go to work, you know, pay, pay pay the heating bill. Yeah, like be a man. Like what what's happening? Um, and don't go, don't go pick up tampons for your wife at the store. Like that's not, don't do that. Like that's, that's not what you do. And now all that's been inverted, um, for good or ill, that's all been inverted, but it's interesting to talk about that inversion because a lot of, that doesn't get a lot of, uh, well, we talked about this previously, but like that gets all wrapped into like toxic masculinity, whatever the heck that means. And just nonsense. And it's just nonsense. It's just men have to figure out different ways to be men um that matches the way that we were well i'll 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 make a biological assertion from here testosterone is a hell of a drug and i'll leave it at that (laughs) yeah i i have found it and i've i've talked with a friend about this it's just such a weird thing that as and this isn't necessarily in the black and white it's 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 my desire to uh work on like emotional intelligence yeah. and um and communicate more effectively and efficiently and 
over the, you know, five or six, last five or six years, focusing heavily on those things and, um, and, uh, and, and getting like sort of met with a resistance. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if you said this or someone else and it's, and it, along the lines of people aren't, they're not really geared up for, for kind of like honesty anymore. Oh, yeah. no. And so it's kind of met with this, this resistance that, you know, I have never felt like more efficient at mm-hmm. that, th- that communicating and so completely throw like what, like, like, Oh my God, am I, what is happening right now? You right. know? And it's like the, I don't know, kind of, kind of Confederacy of dunces type situation. Oh yes. <laughs> and it's like, and, and it just always, I come full circle. I'm like, no, I'm the dunce. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, it's, right. yeah, it's so as Jordan Peterson would say, make your own bed, fix your own backyard first before you go out and repair the world. Like do, do that. You can have enough problem with that. Make make one room in your house beautiful. You're gonna have enough <laughs> trouble with that. <laughs> so we kind of so that that kind of arcs through the last twenty years, and so now we're here today. Um, so yeah, I know you're involved with. Um, there's like uh, you're doing several different things. Like you're writing poetry, you're making music, you're going to open mics, you're you're doing some work with a nonprofit. Correct. Um, talk a little I- bit about that. You know, you're doing some of that. Um, you've also got a book. That came out a few years ago. I'm sure you'd like to hawk or at least talk about on the podcast. Um, and of course, you are looking for work, which is the perpetual kind of thing. Um, but not necessarily looking for work in terms of, hey, I'm broken and employed and I'm really doing this for somebody's house because like I'm gonna go into the cardboard box out back. I'm not Elon. I don't have a few billion in my in my in my couch cushions. <laughs> or maybe you do. Like billionaires actually do dress like you. Like Jack Dorsey, he's the last guy I saw that actually kind of like all you got to do is, is like braid your beard and then you're like Jack Dorsey. Like you're all the way there. No, I've met a few people at uh, open mic and uh, one guy is an attorney and he's like, uh, you know, he's like, I make like more money than I even, and he's got four kids mm-hmm. divorced. And, um, and he's, I think he said he has a hundred guitars and they're not like, you know, the entry level Ibanez. Right. He has like, you know, $5,000 Gibsons and, and, and I'm just like, you have a hundred guitars and he's like, yeah, they're just in this thing. And I was like, dude, that's crazy. And so, and I said something along the lines, I was like, well, I don't know. Oh, what he commented on was, I said, I feel, I said, uh, he said, what he been up to? And I said, I'm finally getting back to work. Um, you know, I've been working on uh, this sort of website and working on uh, this other writing projects and, and some music, and I feel more confident. And he said, I love that when you say uh, you're going back to work, it has nothing to do with a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, man. I said, it's, you know, once you kind of like, you figure out, and we've had this conversation years mm-hmm. ago. It's like, once you, you, you know, you, it's, it's not that difficult to kind of make enough money to live well. Right. And, and kind of like move on for, you know, use that as the foundation so you can do the other things. Well, it's, it's not that hard. Like, <clears throat> it's not that hard if you are not necessarily the Gulliver like. No, I won't even frame it like that. If you haven't made choices 
um, to create obligations in your life and responsibilities that are going to require you to take on other things, then yeah, it's not that hard. It's, it's really not, you know, um, but that requires you to put other things on hold. Like, you know, I'm not going to ask you like about wife and kids. Like, I'm not going to ask you that question because that's like really intimate and personal. And those are decisions that like have genuine financial consequences, you know, um, and that's something that I think going back to society and culture, societies and cultures used to, particularly our society and culture used to be really good at explaining to men. Like there's an actual financial cost to doing this thing, mm -hmm. right? There's an actual financial cost to being a Johnny Appleseed and spreading your stuff all over the place. And there's a societal cost and there's a cultural cost. And we, by the way, we will hold you accountable for that cost. We just will. And then right around, I would say probably 68 to like 72, we kind of as a society decided that no fault divorce and a massive welfare state were the direction that we were going to go in. And, 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 you know, now it's 2022 and here we are. I'm not putting any of that on you. Then none of that's about you. We're, we all grew up in the shadow of all of that, you know, well, it's interesting that, uh, some people, there's this movie, man on a train, uh, okay. it's a foreign film. I suggest, uh, check it out, but and I'm not going to do the synopsis, but it's like the kind of like the summation, like the grass is always greener or like, the yeah. Yeah. and I, I just realized long ago, but it's like, there's not, there's no grass on the other. It's just a, it's a, it's a barren lot. It's the same barren lot you're standing in. Same barren lot you're standing in. And, um, and, uh, I've met people who are, it's not uncommon for people to like, wow, you're free. Right. You're free. You can do whatever you want. And it's like, well, so you can too. Right. You know, so it's, this isn't anything. And it's like, I said, yeah, there's a huge, um, exactly what you just said. There's a, I said, there's an enormous cost for right. me choosing to like kind of have this lifestyle. And I, I tried to get out of it, but that backfired. So, <laughs> and that wasn't too long ago. And, and you know, it was within a year ago. And, and, and uh, you know, I was, you know, I was like kind of holding out and waiting and waiting, waiting. And, and, and you know, it's not like I'm foreign to, like I said to you the other day, it's like, you know, and this was in regards to the making enough money, to sustain yourself. It's like, you know, and I make a lot of really bad decisions. So like, and uh, I don't know. And if you look at things from life is just the journey and the uh, continuous mm -hmm. growth and learning this and that, and you use what uh, the information acquired along the way for the betterment of yourself or others and this and that, then, you know, there's, there's no, there's really no, you know, kind of like fault or mistakes made in that sort of way. And, and, um, and I, you know, I think you hit on it earlier. It's like, there's this, this uh you know you you're 43 you're gonna be 44 oh yeah no i'm gonna be 43 you're gonna be 43 yeah babe just a baby <laughs> yeah 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 everybody says that. And depends so, on, like depends uh, on where you're standing in what room <laughs> <laughs> and, and so i don't i don't know if it is i don't know how all these things sort of like intertwine but whether it's the biological aging, whether it's like uh, life experience is catching up, whether it's like my brain healing from the brain damage or that sort of thing, or all those things kind of like coalescing at once and, uh, and the world being in the state that it's in and kind of like having this 
rebirth of gratitude for mm -hmm. every single moment and every day uh, that it gets a little easier to kind of like process and let go and, uh, of things that are completely out of my control. Um, so. Yeah. Well, you know, in the Bible, um, God called Abraham or Abram as it was out of his father's house at like 75. So it's never too late to go on the road. <laughs> it's just, it's, that's, that's what I take from, that's what I take from Genesis. <laughs> it's never too late to go on the road. It's never too late to go on the road. God, God, God ain't done with you until God's done with you. So it's, it's funny. never too late to go on the road. I mean, that's a, that kind of works for the band Genesis too. If you look at, uh, before Phil Collins. Yes. You know, but, uh, I read something the other day that like Phil's like I'm not he he can't drum anymore. Yeah, I think he's got like arthritis and um, or some other maybe degenerative thing and also maybe some cognitive stuff that is wow. like a, more of a genetic thing. So um, yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, we are reaching the age where like now it's not celebrities dying; it's people we know. Yeah, friends. Right, like. I recently saw a obituary for someone who I knew personally, <clears throat> real nice guy, um, who ran an organization, which I will keep nameless and will keep the name of it out of my mouth, but like knew this guy fairly well. And he helped me get a job when I needed a job um, and allowed me to treat it in a way where it didn't feel like a job, which was great. And he like retired and then he died like two years later. And I'm just like, really? I guess I guess we're there now. And I don't want to talk about mortality because that's a downer. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. But you know, you, you know, at a certain point, you reach a point where, on a long enough timeline, as was stated in Fight Club, on a long enough timeline, everyone's survival rate drops to zero, and so. You know, you can say that ironically and smile about it when you're like 25 and the years spread out before you. But when you get on the other side of 40, you're like, oh, no, that's 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 truth. <laughs> like, that's real truth. Well, I think to uh, my advantage, as far as that perspective goes, um, to have visited that place <laughs> on a couple occasions and, you know, and have to be sort of resuscitated and, and, and uh, you know, uh, punched back into breathing or whatever. And uh, so that's, uh, by it, the way, it, it, yeah. I'm going to ask you the question that uh, Wyatt Earp um, asked Doc Holliday in Tombstone when he Kurt Russell asks Val Kilmer in Tombstone when he's playing cards with him and something about there being angels in heaven. No, it wasn't Val Kilmer, it was his little brother. And <laughs> Kurt Russell goes it was Kurt Russell's little brother he was asking him about because Kurt Russell's little brother was going to Virgil was going to go see a medium or whatever. Um to hear like the heavenly host or hear angels or whatever, which everybody was going to do in that in the late 1800s. Everybody was going to visit mediums and stuff. Uh, Harry Houdini made a whole career, a post death career of being contacted and he was never contacted. Anyway, that's a brilliant, brilliant move for a guy like Houdini. Anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so he, so 
what is it? Kurt Russell asks him. He asks his little brother. His little brother's like, oh, we can hear, hear all the angels of like heavens or whatever. And Wyatt Earp goes, well, what do they got in hell? Like, what do they got? Like, trumpets? Like, what do they got? Bells? <laughs> they get down there? And I shouldn't laugh about it. But, like, it was so quick. Now, he, he came back with it so quick. But it goes to this idea of, which I did, I did want to ask you a little bit about this, sort of. Because people want to know, like, when you died, did you see anything? Did you have a near-death experience? Or or did you or have you ever it thought was, about it in sort of that kind of context at all? I mean, absolutely. Uh, and and it's interesting. Uh, and I don't know if I am going to answer the question truthfully. Great, be- whatever be- you answer you want to give is fine. <laughs> because uh, I have, I've, I have to, I have said it to people when asked, and much like that resistance thing. They tell me that's not what happened, and okay. and I find it uh, fascinating that someone asks me a question and I answer it directly, and they say, "Well, what do you really think?" And then I <laughs> and then I have to say something else, right? Yeah, and um, I, I've I made a decision about six months ago to to not. I said, I, "I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about this anymore because I can't." say it without uh uh well i can't say it without some sort of bias because i did the thing right or the no, thing no, did no, me and uh that's a legitimate answer and and uh Everything does, I, every question doesn't have to be answered and, and well here's the thing though i mean it's the best thing that ever happened to me hmm you know, uh, and I, I recognize that. And um, and as far as the heaven and hell, you know, this is what I said a little bit ago about how I was when I was using and getting high as, as versus to now and like everything back then was all bad and now I need to do good. And it's not necessarily a, <sighs> what you said a moment ago about uh, visiting in the mm-hmm. hospital and mm-hmm. guilt and shame. Yeah. So guilt and shame and guilt and shame. And the fact that I felt, so I went, I mean, there was people who I've known f- since I was 15 years old mm-hmm. that I had a difficult time talking to until a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was, uh, one of the, uh, one of my friends was, uh, cancer and it did like it just a, mm-hmm. about five years of really, really horrible things. And in the middle of that time period, I'm like strung out on heroin and living this, you know, uh, difficult life. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I couldn't get over the fact that I'm watching one of my closest friends on life support in a, mm-hmm. in a hospital room. And I'm living the way I'm doing what I'm doing, and I couldn't even enter the room. So there's like this entire component of, of guilt and shame wrapped into that, and then it it uh it made it really difficult to kind of like reconcile with myself. And I don't know what happened in the more recent years, um, but I had to. Uh, like you know forgive myself for 
whatever. Mm-hmm. I just started to think of it more in the way of like, um, and, 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 and this is the more recent, you know, in the last, this is not, not being like as willing and accepting as I can be with everyone and everything. And, uh, and doing my best not to, to, to get sort of like bent out of shape or mad and kind of that just acceptance yeah. and be a being of love and, and, and not, you know, and judge and, 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 you know, the, the question of like, well, why can't you do that to yourself? How can, how can you have that as something that is a focus and a goal in life towards others? However, when you turn it back on yourself, you are not worthy of any of that. And it was I, I think a moment, and I, that's still, we, we talked about this a little bit the other day, and that's still something to, and it's not worthy. It's just, I don't, I think I, I know the, um, I know the potential negative consequences of leaning too far. I look at like how the Brooklyn Nets, all right. You got those two guys saying, we don't need to be coached. We don't need this. We don't need that. Yeah. Wow. And then, so it's, it's not, it, it's, it's trying to remain teachable, I think. Yeah. Well, the current state of the NBA is an unteachable moment. Like that entire friggin' league. Like it's, it's good Lord. Like what, 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 what you're seeing happen right now is a microcosm for exactly what the rest of society is like. Um, and you know, everybody's an expert. Uh, everybody is very happy to regale you with their expertise and nobody's expertise can be questioned or critiqued because it just can't be questioned or critiqued. It's like, <laughs> I mean, we were talking about Kevin Smith, too fat for 40. I mean, it's, it's now we're, we're arcing all the way back to the beginning of our, the beginning of our podcast, the beginning <laughs> of our, you know, Call and it, right. And it's, it's, and if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it. But like, it's, it's, it's all of that. It's, it's, I can't be critiqued. I can't be, but you know what? It's, it's the logical end. It's the clearing at the end of the path of the whole, my morality is your morality. There is no absolute truth. There's just relative, my truth, your truth. Don't judge me. And then now here we are, like, here we are. We have, we have million dollar athletes that are uncoachable. Um, or we have million dollar athletes. They're like, I'm the greatest of all time. And they sat out the last like two games of a playoffs that they are not a playoffs so like <laughs> that they could have actually gotten. Oh. And then they want to like thump their chest about how they're the greatest in the freaking league in comparison to, Oh, I don't know. One of the greatest basketball players in the modern era, Michael <clears throat> James <clears throat> Jordan. But you know what? I'll just leave that aside. LeBron. <laughs> I think it's Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. It might be Jeffrey. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. It doesn't matter. Jeffrey <laughs> James. It doesn't matter. All you need to know is he's got six rings and LeBron has how many? That's it. it. I mean, it's the, yeah. I mean, his shoes are still dominate the market. His still influence the still, it, it, it's, 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 it, it, what a tremendous in, in human being in the sense of like that mentality of like, I will not lose. Okay, so Buddy and I were talking about this, and then we can switch to talking about the, the, the other stuff you got going on currently, because I do want to get, I do want to have time to kind of explore mm-hmm. some of that with you. I'm going to hit you with this question, a buddy of mine uh, talks, we and I talk, he and I talk about this all the time. So Tom Brady came in, did, did Tom Brady, did the Tom Brady show for 12 years or whatever, however long he's been doing the, 12, the Tom Brady show, goes away for literally three seconds, 
can't deal with it <laughs> and is like back to do to finish up the Tom Brady show or to do more of the Tom Brady show. Okay. Is he probably going to wind up in an ignominious end smashed underneath a 19-year-old? Probably. But because this is usually what happens in that kind of arc in a physical game like football. That's not the question, though. But it is the, the foundation. It's the baseline for thinking about this idea. Tom Brady is 45 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, he's old enough to remember Michael Jordan the same way you and I are. He didn't have to watch Michael Jordan highlights on YouTube or TikTok. He saw Michael Jordan play. He saw Kobe play. I assert that we are the youngest end of the oldest generation that has actually seen actual excellence. I think subsequent generations are not going to see excellence because in order to be excellent, you have to be willing to be coached, be critiqued, um, be able to sift between, you talk about guilt and shame, be able to sift between what's guilt and shame-based feedback, like Brene Brown would talk about, and mm -hmm. what's genuine feedback designed to make you grow. And you have to be strong enough internally and resilient enough internally to be able to do that. And we're the oldest, we're the youngest end of the oldest generation that actually was okay with not being liked. Like, that's not the driving thing of our, because we didn't care about social media because we all got grafted into that crap. It wasn't the thing that we were actually born into that where our peers confronted us or didn't and all that. Like I asked somebody this today in a different context. How many times in your life between 12 and 18 with everything you were doing, did you get in a fist fight? How many times did you get punched in the mouth? Me? Right. Yeah. You. Oh, I've never been touched. You've never been touched. Okay. I got punched in the mouth a ton of times. Ton. I mean, I, I fucked some shit up. <laughs> I got a few fights, you know. I I, I, I got in a fight in college. The the tight end, or the defensive end, oh, like yeah. knocked on my bedroom or my dorm room door, and yeah. he was like, "Why were you laughing at me and my girlfriend?" And I was like, "Oh, dude, I wasn't laughing. We were drinking." Yeah. I, he lived down the hall, or whatever, and and so he's like, "You're coming out in the hallway, and we're fighting." And I was like, "Dude, I don't want to fight. I have a friend in here, man." Right. And, uh, and he's like, and he kept knocking on the door and I was like, all right. And I like, I was, you know, 160 pounds yeah. just living on booze and we went out in the hallway and he's just looking at me and, and, uh, I went out, well, I took my shirt off, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and and yeah. he was looking at me and I, I like put my left foot behind his foot and I pushed him down and I just got on top of him. I just like started punching him in the head yeah. and his yeah. girlfriend grabbed this chain that I was like wearing in the nineties, like a skater thing or whatever. And, uh, I wasn't really paying attention or, or someone did that. And it kind of hurt. There was a black and blue mark of the etched chain around my neck. Oh, yeah. And without thinking that there was, and I turned and I punch her in the head. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so now it's, the, now it's the way of the gun opening. Now we're doing so, that. You're, you're yeah, Ryan so, Philippe. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that's so, a deep so, cut. So that's, that's yeah. That's, that's really good. Uh, so yeah. And it was, you know, the couple fights that we were in, it was booze related and yeah. it was, uh, it, and, uh, and, and so that's, uh, that's it. So never, But think about uh, that act of physical altercation. Like anybody who's making a TikTok video and shadow banning people that they don't like from parties on Instagram is not getting into a physical fight. I think all of those things pile together. The lack of appropriate confrontation skills, the lack of ability to be physical, 
the lack of ability to take critique, the lack of ability to be coachable, all this piles together. And thus, and this is the assertion that I make to a buddy of mine, I don't think we're going to see excellence like Tom Brady or Kobe or Michael Jordan in the places where we normally would have seen it, which would have been sports or celebrity. I think we're done with that as a, as a culture until we refine all of those things again. Now, are there people walking around right now in the millennial generation and in the Gen Z generation and whatever they want to call Gen Alpha, whatever the hell they want to call it, um, are the Gen Prime? I don't know. I've heard crappy the Indigo things. Children. Oh, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> are there people who are walking around with those kinds of scars? Sure, okay, maybe. But like, if your biggest emotional scar is that your cell phone got taken away, not that like you mouthed off to somebody and they hauled off and tried to punch you in the mouth and you actually had to physically defend yourself. Well, I mean, okay, you've learned a different kind of thing. And this gets back to the idea of what it means to be a man also. But let's just leave that aside for just a second. I'm not saying the physical confrontation is better than emotional confrontation. What I'm saying is the, the act of resiliency, the growth of that skill set leads to the development of excellence because mm -hmm. you realize that not everything is going to be given to you. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to take it, to paraphrase from Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we have a entire couple of generations that are now focused on things that were given to them because we gave it to them. And by the way, it's our fault, not theirs. We gave it to them. They just lived in the world as was. Okay. Are we going to see excellence? Are we going to see excellence at the Tom Brady level? Because here's one of the greatest quotes about Michael Jordan ever. I think it was Dan Marley said this about him. He came not to just kill you, but to cut your heart out. I don't see that from LeBron. I, I like Kevin Durant, and I thought he had that in him. But I don't think so anymore. I mean, Giannis is kind of the, the closest to if you follow, but I mean he like he's the closest in the sense of like I will like uh, this is not my body, right? I am. It is sacrificed for well, you know, well, like I mean, and he when stayed your teammate, in Milwaukee, right? You like know? when your teammates aren't doing well, are you going to subtweet them or are you going to get in their face? Like, what are we doing here? And, and and sports is the rawest place where you see this. I'm not, again, I'm not saying, I want to be very clear on this. I'm not saying that there's only one route to excellence. I'm saying the route to excellence that we have seen. Are we going to see people walk that route again? Or is that done? And we're going to have to look for excellence in different places. Well, <laughs> I remember that uh, it was either that it, it was a, a few days after Kobe died. Mm -hmm. We talked on the phone mm -hmm. and I said, I don't know why. And this is really surprising to me, but Kobe dying has had a much greater effect on me than I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you just said. It's, it was the last sort of a bastion of, of excellence available or, 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 or in the, in the public eye or in the culture or in. It, I'll and narrow so, it down even further in basketball. Like, I think we're done with excellence in basketball. I think it's on. I think it's over. I think we're done. And it helped kind of, uh, enter that concept into the into like my personal equation yeah okay and because i have a lot to say on on the relationship stuff mm -hmm. on 
on like kind of the journey or path that I've been on and why everything, like I'm over the fact that uh, in the uh, societal norm, when, when, when uh, compared up against that, Mm -hmm. uh, it's fucking taking me forever, but you know what? I don't, it's, it's like once removing like time from the equation in the sense of like, uh, a succession of things in order to get to it's it's not and and so kind of doing that makes everything else this more fluid thing and uh i think it's why uh i've been i've been bartending for a few years and you, you know it's uh i can work when when we were at Regio, did, I mean, I felt like we worked well together, right? Yeah, like you were the person who could go out and talk to the talent because I could not, I didn't have the capacity at that time, and I still really don't. I, I've gotten a little bit better at it because I just had to over the course of the last few years. But you were the one who could go out and talk to the talent in a meaningful way um, and get them to commit to doing crazy things like, I don't know, producing four poems a week instead of their usual half a poem. You could like persuade them into production. In That's a way what where, I'm saying. Right. To, in a way yeah. where I would just be like, just shut up and dance, monkey. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because I look at the work. So I have a much more I, I blogged about this taking off of idea from Isaac Asimov, you have writers and then you have artists, right? Or not all right, writers, I'm sorry. You have typists and then you have artists, right? And very much sometimes over the course of many years, it would be a situation where I was a typist. Just shut up and do the work. It's the Stephen Pressfield idea. Just shut up and do the work. Show up, do the work, type the thing. It's going to suck and it doesn't matter. You need to do the work. You need to build the muscle, right? And if you're spending so much time not building the muscle because you're being precious about a thing, and by the way, I run into this quite a bit in my business with working with graphic designers sometimes or um, or um, or instructional designers, um, you know, when you work with those folks, sometimes researchers, sometimes they could be so precious about the thing that they don't actually produce the thing, right? And so being precious about the work doesn't lead to more excellence. It's just hiding. And so you're either going to be Isaac Asimov, who's, by the way, who, by the way, wrote 400 novels, only just, a handful of which one were One of those good. prolific and oh fine on topics that are... Unbelievable. Yeah. But but what he did was he decided to get up. Stephen Pressfield talks about this in The War of Art. He got up and he decided to work. That's what he did. Um, he decided to type. That's what he did. Whereas you get Donna Tart, who's written like... Hey, buddy. Who's written like... Freaking like... I think like five books in 20 years. And she she's done excellence. But it's it's on the long haul. Hold on a second. Charlie Daniels band is in heavy rotation in my house. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, interesting. Uh, he's, he's, he's trading it up and he's switching it up. So, you know, gonna, the wheels on the bus go round and round us, uh, taking a backseat to it's passe. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to, it's time to up the game. <laughs> and he's already doing, he's already doing one, one handed pushups. Whoa. And I'm like, Wow, well, you continue to lap me. Well, that's fine. 
Well, I think was uh, I forget who was talking about it. It's like, uh, oh no, it was Norm McDonald. Like, yeah, I used to let my kid beat me in basketball when he's young, and then he got to an age where he, uh, where he actually was beating me, and he said, you know, I wish I did, had not done that because, you know, he thought he's been kicking my ass this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I so I I I always make sure to tie or just barely beat. Or at least you're get not, the impression that I'm just barely beating. Yeah, it sounds like you're a little uh you know ubiquitous trophy. Uh, don't are you are you giving it Are you giving him any unicorn? I like it. we're trying to encourage excellence around here. Don't get me wrong. No, there's plenty there's plenty of spaces for me to lean on him. Oh yeah, there's plenty no, uh, of those. Well, I'm just uh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, I'm messing around and yeah. um, and uh, but if you if you don't do that, there's the potential for quitting. Correct, right? So it's a fine line, yeah, right? It it's, is. it's a and that, again that ties into the excellence, you know, idea. There's a fine line for what you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, LeBron. Uh, yeah, okay, you run three rings. I can't take that away from you. You did win three. They were with super teams, but whatever. You did win three, what is it, three, four rings, whatever it was you won. Um, you are, you know, six, eight, and three something. Okay, cool. With like a with like a sixty four inch wingspan. Okay, great, cool. Okay. Complete freaking okay. nature. Complete freaking nature. Yeah. The, like good the thing you were supposed to do was that like that to me that's table stakes again those are those are table stakes um uh going beyond just that is where excellence lies that's where well that's where that's where you get to be heroic like and, and by the way this is not just basketball so like if i'm going to a restaurant i would rather have a waiter or waitress that's seeking to be excellent in their role in food service because that's the role they've picked and so that's the thing they're going to be excellent at and you're not doing it and you may be doing it you may be doing it for whatever your motivations are i don't need to know those i'm here as a customer to have a service and have a service-based interaction with you, maybe build a little bit of a tiny relationship and move on. Like that, I, I trust me, I know what my role is. And my role is to like not give you a bunch of nonsense and not make your life miserable, to not get in the way of you doing the thing that is excellent. Okay. Um, or if you're a street sweeper, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote about this, right? Be the most excellent street sweeper so that the angels of heaven, when you die, are waiting for you to show up and sweep the streets of heaven because you they can't do it better than you can. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's a concept that is around anymore. And when you were, when you and I were at Regio, you did an excellent job of getting the creatives to do more in that space and to 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 cross over that arc between like I'm a precious person to being a typist and doing the work. Stephen Pressfield before Stephen Pressfield. Um, but then, but then my job, and this is fundamentally how I looked at it, my role was to be the guy, and I kind of did it with, with this jazz festival we just did recently, my job is to do all the unsexy stuff that needs to happen. Like, I'm going to go have a conversation with doctor whoever about, like, why we need money, because Ryan doesn't want to go have that conversation about why we need money. Like, that, his, he's going to 
forget it. That's not going to. It, it may spin. It, yeah, the wheels would potentially fall off that wagon, and <laughs> by the time on the way back, it there's a completely different wagon. And yeah, it's 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 and, and it's like and, wait we, a minute, and we need happened? the wagon that we yeah. started with. We need <laughs> that one. <laughs> what just happened? Like, dude, we're. We're in Pennsylvania now. What you know? Right, and, and you're running a cult. Jesus Christ! Yeah. What happened? <laughs> what is going on? I don't. I don't understand. Uh, and no, we're not. We're not doing that. Um, so, like, but th- that's my role, right? And that's what I. That's what I do well. Even now, is like make sure the wheels stay on the bus. That's all you got to do. Just make sure the wheels stay on the bus and do the little things that that nobody's going to thank you for, and nobody's going to give you claps for to keep the wheels on the bus. And I see so many people unwilling to do the things that are going to keep the wheels on the bus. Or maybe I'm looking in the wrong spaces. I'll grant you that. Maybe there is excellence out there that I'm missing uh, because I'm looking in all these other places. And just, maybe I'm looking to not find it. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is excellence everywhere and I'm just ig- ignorant to it. It's all over Instagram somewhere. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it is. Okay. I, I was listening to. um uh, a, a, a female rapper uh, uh, talk about she did a, a song with Eminem, and and the interviewer was like, "What was it like working with Eminem?" And she was just like, "Like Eminem just is, like that's it. Like he is, he's the thing, and and um." It's that sort of like it's 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 I think we're you know confidence, affinity, aptitude, and 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 drive and commit to excellence. It's like I mean, are we going to see another David Bowie making music for? 50? We're not going to see another David Bowie. We're not going to yeah. see another Freddie Mercury. Prince, I was watching, you know, I was watching a video the other day with um, what's his name? Um, um, what's his name from Wham? George George Michael George Michael right and my wife and I were sitting there and she's like it was some video from the 80s and uh, he was very pretty he's a very pretty man and I even said that that's she's like I was thinking exactly that like yep <laughs> that's why that's why I love you uh, we're both we're both there <laughs> and he was but there was not a hair out of place of that feathered hair his eyebrows were perfect the sculpting on his cheekbones was perfect because he understood fundamentally that I'm putting on a show here and the show has to be excellent for me to sell the music, but I've got the voice. So the selling is the thing on top. And I just see, and maybe it's a function of the internet. There's just so much slapdash stuff just thrown out there because you can, because the internet's a free distribution platform. So you can just slapdash together this, slapdash together that, throw that thing out there, and if it doesn't work, you can be like, oh, well, it was the internet. No, it was that you didn't put in the effort. But then, if you do put in the effort, you get like three likes, and you're like, what the hell? I put in all that effort, and nobody cared. Right, because either it wasn't aligned properly, or you didn't talk to the right people in the right place, or, like, people ask me this all the time about publishing books. They're like, well, like, are you going to be a New York Times bestselling author? I'm like, probably not. But like that's not the that's not the point that I'm trying to make with my book. I'm not trying to be a New York Times bestselling author. If it happens, I'm not going to turn it down. But the difference between me throwing out something out there that's slapdash and not well put together that rises to the time New York Times bestseller list and something that only three people buy, my mom, you, and like some other random dude somewhere, like 
okay, but at least I infected I affected three people. I'm gonna and oh, but you spent ten thousand dollars on that doing that book. Yeah, well, so like it's only money. Like it'll come back. You know, what? and I don't Dude, think people Mark. people can't people can't they can't justify both sides of that equation, and that's where you see the decline in excellence too. Well, it, it, by the way, uh, I have I have a, a stack of books that are more like reference books that I just kind of like always go to. Uh, this yeah. literary theory book. I have. Um, uh, an old uh, poetry textbook that has uh, the, the, the fundamentals of scansion in the back. Uh, I have this M. Scott Peck book called uh, the road. Uh, no, 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 not the road less traveled. It's a, uh, it's called uh, community and peacemaking. The different, it's called the different drum community and oh, peacemaking okay. uh, and a bunch of others, but your, your book is in that pile of things of like, and it's one of those things, uh, uh, William James, a variety of religious experience, uh, it's one of those things where you can, uh, you, uh, I, a person, mm-hmm. you, I flip through it, like any one of those things. I'm sure it's kind of like an, and uh, resist taking this. Uh, it's kind of, I'm sure, like the Bible. You flip open yeah. and start reading, and you go, oh, yeah. "There's, there's, a, there's, there's like a wealth of information, no matter where you turn to in this." Oh yeah. And I think uh, part of the reason. Uh, as far as like the creative aspect uh, for me and just like trying to, when, when I'm in that zone of, of, of just like, dude, just uh, I work a lot of uh, inertia. So mm-hmm. when I start moving, it's a bit frenetic and, 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 you know, but art is also patient and mm-hmm. art is also frenetic and um, seizing those particular moments. So in that time, it's just like you said a second ago, there could be excellence out there, but there's all these other variables. Maybe I'm not looking, not looking in the right places, X, Y, and Z, whatever. Um, but in, in those moments where I am flipping, like I, I'm stuck on a poem or or, or, or a short story, and uh, I, I need to like I need to interface with something that's going to sort of like block or uh, take me out of whatever the train of thought was going that is blocking me from continuing on mm-hmm. with whatever the piece is I'm working on flipping open to any one of those books and reading a few paragraphs or a few pages. And there is, you know, kind of like all of the answers exist. It's just, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know what what people say, but uh, uh, Michelangelo Mm -hmm. carving, like it's, it was in the marble. It was in the marble the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the books. I wanted to give you time to talk about the books. So you got a book out there. Talk about the book. Show the book, and then talk about your other projects um, and the fundraiser that you're interested in. Or not interested, but that you want our support and help with. The uh, so the name of the book, and I am. Uh, it's probably not good. That uh, we'll have I links to his book. Yeah, I don't even. I, don't, I you know I let someone. Uh, let someone borrow the last copy and and uh yeah well it doesn't matter it's called exploration after death colon a painting and uh the 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 goal of the book was to document uh, in a way there are how to books, how to make your bed for dummies or how to, you know, whatever. And 
the the thought I couldn't get off of was, you know, in reference to the near death experiences or the coming back to life experiences, which everyone um, is, there's no manual for that. It's like, what do you do when you're just the tail end of sort of electromagnetic impulses, hmm. staying alive through uh, grace uh, and then coming back and being like, oh, and there's this completely, I mean, it has affected me. It affects me to this very day in a way that is very difficult to uh, speak about in, in a way that, in a way that isn't, um, One hundred percent, completely ambiguous. It's like, with I think that is how poetry took the front seat, because it's creating a world. It can create a world. It has access to, and that is why it's called a painting. Because my goal was to have, uh, much like when uh, people listen to music, uh, certain music uh, it can trigger the brain to have visuals. And so my goal for the book was for the reader to see to, almost like one of those flip books, magic flip books or whatever. And you see that uh, that was the goal was was for people to to get so uh, um, uh, creatively uh, inspired in their mind's eye for what the words and the scenery was on the page that they're creating their own sort of. Uh, world as a response to what I'm saying. Um, so there's that. And then uh, um, the nonprofit is, so my friend, uh, Kyle Corbett, his nephew is uh, a kid by the name of Devin. He's uh, 16 years old. And during a, uh, um, a, a school trip or something like that. He, he in Colorado. He was skiing down a mountain, and there's an accident. He was helicoptered out of there, and and uh, and he's yeah, brain damage, and I don't know if he can walk. You know, I, I like it's not good. And his family has dumped like millions of dollars into you know his care, and so Kyle uh, worked with his family to start this. Um, this charity and uh what i'm what my goal is to uh spread it on the platforms that i uh use on a regular basis also i work at a nonprofit finlay market in cincinnati and uh Sam, samantha is always looking for charities to kind of contribute towards and so working with them, I would like to put on and set up or contribute to or outline or help in any, whatever capacity I can. Uh, maybe have Kyle come up here and play some shows. He is, uh, he is a magician on the guitar. It is crazy. It sounds like I'm being hyperbolic or whatever. It, no, it's, it's freaking ridiculous. And it's just a tremendous artist and, and, and musician and just, you know, fabulous human being and um, see if it can c 
kind of help put together uh, something that is that would contribute towards that that um, that charity that fund. We'll have links <clears throat> to all of the to both of the areas um, that uh, Ryan has talked about so passionately uh, today in the show notes below the podcast player of your choice, whether you're listening to this on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, <clears throat> anything through Overcast, TuneIn, or any of those other obscure networks, even if you're listening overseas, which we do have several listeners in European countries, including Russia, and as well as in the Far East, in India and China. And so if you are interested in supporting Ryan um, and supporting the Corbett family, uh, we will have links to that as well as links to Ryan's book to be able to pick that up on Amazon. Thank you. I don't have anything else. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have. So uh, the uh, I guess they, they would just be blogs. Uh, so one blog is the ghost who sells memories dot com. And that is there is uh, uh, that co the, the, the Corbett uh, charity is, is linked in there. Um, and it's also a bunch of uh, my writing, uh, primarily poetry. There's some uh, maybe essays and short stories in there. I started a few years ago. It was interesting to look back and it's like, you've had 200 posts and it's like, Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I went by. And then, so, uh, then there's also, uh, the ghost who sells memories dot info. And there is, uh, kind of an outline of, uh, music. Uh, there's about, you know, 10 tracks on there that have been kind of reported, uh, at different places. Um, and there is, Oh, I do want to talk about how the ghost who sells memories came into existence. So yeah, there is right. there is a Tom Waits song called uh, uh, for, uh, Tom Trobert's Blues. It's the first song off the 1976 album, Small Change. And uh, Tom Trobert's Blues and in parenthetical notation, it is uh, four sheets to the wind in Copenhagen and then uh, or just waltzing Matilda. And so, uh, waltzing, uh, waltzing Matilda is a, uh, it is a, uh, Australian term, uh, meaning, uh, you're just kind of like homeless and, and wandering and wandering, uh, with no destination. And so that's the waltzing is a Matilda. Matilda is a kind of a fashioned, uh, you take like your sleeping apparatus and then uh, uh, enrolled in that is all of your possessions thrown over your back. And so waltzing Matilda. So there's also a uh, unofficial national anthem of Australia called waltzing Matilda. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the name of the song. And one of the lines in the song is, uh, and the ghosts who sell memories. And uh, I love the image. I think it's, I think it's brilliant. And so to avoid uh, plagiarism, the ghost who sells memories, it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, however, maybe I should change it because it would be awesome to have Tom Waits just knock on the door one day and 
uh, <laughs> strong grumbling. Uh, yeah, yeah, cigarette yeah. ridden <laughs> voice of his. <laughs> and, and, and so um, it, it, it kind of like turned into what you were saying before about open mics is uh, after a, a period of just kind of like isolation, COVID and this and that, one day I was said, I'm going to go to, uh, I got to need to get out of the apartment and went to an open mic and, and I read a few things and it was well received, uh, but I didn't like not looking out at the crowd. And so the next time I went, the next like, you know, that's this is what I do now is I just get on stage and I just start sort of like talk. I tell, you know, kind of like, uh, uh, you know, stories from my sordid past. And uh, it is, it, it has turned into kind of a, a comedy. And uh, which is which is the goal and intent, and I think that's what the goal and intent the entire time. Uh, after a certain point of the act of addiction, was you know, at a certain point, um, you're just alone. It's a very uh, you know isolating existence, and so I had to uh, figure out ways to entertain myself, and so that came along with that came a lot of interesting decisions. And so, um, and so that's kind of like a branch uh, of, of that sort of creative thing. And um, yeah, so that's, that's all the stuff. And I can't thank uh, Hassan enough for, uh, you know, getting in touch and allowing and having this opportunity to, you know, kind of uh, talk about an, uh, some of these things here. And, um, you know, oh, the last thing I do want to say. Oh, and one more thing. He's like Steve Jobs. Would you like to see one more thing? Hey, one more thing. Well, there's actually two. There's one more thing, but there's kind of two more things. We'll, it's kind yeah. of two more things. Okay. So, <laughs> so the one thing is, uh, it was listening to the first, uh, the first uh, interview, and uh, I, you know, I talk about uh, my brother, my sister, in a way, as far as like you know, uh, uh, like a gauge of intelligence. So it has no what it what what value does something have if it cannot be applied and they have both and i one of the reasons i feel comfortable saying what i said is because we i have had that conversation with them over the years and it mm -hmm. hasn't always been it started by me mm -hmm. you know it's them being like hey dude you can't you can do this but we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a and so uh and so i mean they're the, i cannot do what they have done it, mm -hmm. i look at that it, it is a uh it is a, a puzzle if i had all the pieces i would just i would make a different i would be jamming it, it just and it, it would be nice it would not work at all and so like they're the two of my favorite people and mm -hmm. uh what they've been able to accomplish and are still accomplishing is is commendable and um and i tell them that all the time so uh so there's that and, yeah, yeah. and so the the last thing is uh i i do have a, a kind of a short a short story that i was uh going to read oh okay yeah go ahead so this is called uh and at some point in here uh well fuck it when i say uh <clears throat> When I say I'm blue, I'm blue, I mean I'm hypoxic. I come to in a daymare's dream. I turn to my nine o'clock, level of certainty, toes on edge, 
fingertip blood, razor blade eyes. I sway on a cliff of epistemic doubt and philosophical skepticism. This did happen. The two-lane highway rumbles below America's transcontinental commerce and touts rubber, metal, and steel, capitalism's perpetual erection in tow, bracelet widgets, my pet limp ball, trading cards, plastic, cups, toys, tables, cables, hoses, horses, chairs, pens, linoleum, flooring, every flavor of sugar-free soda, Rusty oil drums packed with human lard, palette upon palette of Kardashian logoed pink Uggs stained with the blood of yellow fingertips and obsidian flesh. And as America's black diesel breath puffs by, Polly is asleep in the passenger seat. And every 10 miles or so, she attempts to gesture in my direction. But her but her dream state heavy-eyed uh, puppy diagnosis adheres to the intransigent will of her nascence, as if fully compressed by exhaustion's weight. And, well, fuck the naysaying epistemics of my previous paragraph's philosophical skepticism. I need to get off the road. Stat. As we carve a path through the hummus-colored scenery, it undulates with cinnamic aspirations and delight, while the white jello mold clouds overhead throb and swell like the bulges of 10-year abstinent troops of Cosby and hyenas frothing at the mouth. Their rapacious gaze focused on the house party's couch-passed-out pony. Methed-out truckers pop saccharine pillows of horse-hoof sweets, between hourly self-gratification sessions and Maury Povich episodes. The black hole pupil of my cyclopic eye smashed against the windshield like a seasoned chef's nicotine-stained fingers, pressing ground baby meat into manageable-sized patties. We speed along an X and Y axis of some wannabe surreal desert dystopia, the sun a molten globe on a gaffer's blowpipe. My eyes adjust like an eclipse staring child. Car tiles grip the sweltering road like dime store magic tricks or blowflies caught on a yellow ribbon of doom. The road requires my full attention. I squint through the insect decimated windshield. The road escapes via thermodynamics illusory Newtonian defiance. The gray road evaporates in the direction of middle America's house of God. And like an irrationally confident frog leaping across a six lane highway, this mechanical beast weaves through kaleidoscopic, the kaleidoscopic aridness. I am equal parts panic and safety seeking when I pull off the road. Our chariot lumbers next to a gas pump, lumbers in next to a gas pump. This establishment is an obvious front for a local governmental official, a local governmental officials' uh, pedophilistic sex trafficking operation. At the second pump, I park and I leave the car running. As I exit the vehicle, I look to confirm the pump number. I use a spare key to lock the door and head into the smart part of the gas smart. My mental fog waited, 
blue to burnt orange wrapped in damp gray silk vacillations. My mental fog has a bad knee and his wife just left him and she took everything of value with her, even the Billy Holiday coffee table coasters, savage. I devise a plan to our next destination unknown. Two things are certain. I need cocaine and I need a drink. And outside of minor logistical interferences, this should prevent, this should present no significant problems. Gas Mart Corner, the hot pocket video poker market of anywhere in Nevada, desert, USA. Grafting, grading fluorescent lights reflect the pervert. The perverted neglect apparent on each cigarette stained countertop and rust flaked shelf. My survey, I, my survey finds Kiwi Lime Mad Dog and No Frills 20 ounce paper cups with the 90s purple and blue markings, uh, detesting all viable chances of classic aesthetic markings. Through straws from paper cups. However, I gather sundries. I use the restroom to empty my bladder and collect my thoughts. A man is walking out as I enter. I splash my face with cold water and give myself a barely audible pep talk. A series of two grunts with a questioning inflection. I dry my face as I walk into the stall, which is relatively clean. An exhale leaves me. I'm relaxed. I fish a gram of cocaine from the makeshift pocket. I cut into the zipper flap of my green cargo shorts. God is good. It is fluffy and dry. I twist off her wings and empty a dime-sized serving into my left hand's biological snuff box. My right hand deftly retwists the baggie and returns the package from whence it came. I press my right thumb to my right nostril and form an airtight seal. A fierce inhale through my left nostril follows. My eyes glaze, my body goosebumps, and I exit the stall and restroom. The smart is now empty, except for a lone employee behind the counter. He appears, his appearance and demeanor are an amalgam of every convenience smart clerk ever. The clerk is languorous and gobsmacked by the corpuscular brilliance of the setting sun. He looks poetic and peaceful. And a part of me hopes his trance is broken before I arrive to the counter. I am envious of his peaceful gaze. It is tranquil and beautiful. It seems to stop time. Like an orchestra of melodious crickets, lulling a full plate moon to sleep. Stuff my cargo pockets with the following items. Two bags of Jack Link's beef jerky. Two 12-ounce paper cups two lids and straws, and two bananas. Lastly, I grab two bottles of Kiwi Lime Mad Dog and carry them, carry them to the checkout counter. As I empty my pockets on the counter, I say, that's the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. Without breaking his stare, he says, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's why I keep this job. I say, a better reason than most. If that is not proof of a higher power type entity, I'm not sure what is. Amen, he says. I say, I'll take these items, a pack of camels and $30 on pump two. By the way, I didn't want to interrupt the sunset. 
do you mind if I grab these cups, lids, and straws? Uh, if you have to charge me, I understand. Uh, I hand him cash while he answers. He says, ah, they're on the house. From one sin-set admirer to another. Thank you, kind sir. Appreciate that, I say. As he brown bags the order, I say, oh, one last thing. About how many miles outside of Vegas are we? <laughs> Quasi-inaudible, automatic response. A hair north of 26 mile. So that's that. That is indeed that. Thank you, Ryan Stout. Thank you kindly, sir. I'll be uh, talking to you soon. And thank you, uh, whoever is listening to this. <laughs> Much love, brother. <laughs>